Good morning, church. It's so great to see all of you this morning. We are so thankful for you. If this is your first time visiting, we'd love to get to know you, and there's a couple ways you can do that. You can either go out in the atrium to the welcome desk. We have someone there who would be love to answer any questions you have and help you fill out a Connect card. Or you can do it digitally. You can put in the phone number and text the, the number 904-441-6900 and put the word connect in. And what that will do is that will connect you to the connect card as well, and you can put that in. If you have a prayer request, the same phone number, we encourage you even during the week if you have a prayer request, please put that in and connect with us anytime during the week. We'd love to pray with you and come alongside of you with that. Also, for your paper bulletin, we also have a digital bulletin, and you can do the same thing. You can put that phone number in and put the word news, and that word will take you right to the bulletin that you have in your hand, exactly the digital one. So I encourage you to do that as well. Just a couple of things I'd like to highlight for you this morning. The first one is happening next Sunday at 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary. And I'm going to read it. It's Silent Candlelight Christmas Communion. It's a lot of words, but we will. I encourage you to come. You are definitely invited for us to celebrate Jesus. It's a time of quietness and just getting your heart ready for the week heading up to our Savior's birth. I encourage you on that. Also, just a reminder, we have four candle. I'm sorry, four Christmas Eve services. We have two, 1.30 and 3 here in the sanctuary, and then we have two more at 4.30 and 6 in the CLC. So no reason you can't be here, and no reason you can't bring a family member, and no reason you can't bring a friend. I encourage you to do that, to bring someone alongside of you, and just have a Christmas Eve with them as well. Also, one more other reminder for you is Christmas Day is December the 25th. As you all know, it happens to be Sunday. We're going to be having one service at 10 a.m. Just a reminder that we will not have a nursery, children, or youth that day because we want to give our staff and our volunteers a chance to have time with their family as well. So you please come. Just remember there will not be those on, on campus for that for sure. I just want to turn your attention. This is our third week of Advent, and the word is joy. I just want to turn your attention to that video. Thank you. God bless.
great video. I love that. I love that. Uh, today is our the third Evan Kent candle will be um, lit, uh, and it is pink uh, because the rose color represents joy. Uh, the third Sunday of Advent is meant to remind us of the world's joy at the birth of Jesus and that the, and that the faithful have arrived at the midpoint of Advent. The candle will be lit today by Paul and Kay Steinke. Let's stand as we sing our opening hymn, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear.
Virgin Mary had a baby boy. The Virgin Mary had a baby boy. The Virgin Mary had a baby boy. And they said that his name was Jesus. The shepherds ran to see the holy child. The shepherds ran to see the holy child. continue to prepare our hearts by focusing on joy. The birth of Jesus was marked by joy. The angel told the shepherds out in the field, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus' mother, Mary, in her great song of praise said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The wise men rejoiced when they saw the star that led them to Jesus. 
the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When Jesus returns, his second advent will also be a time of great joy for those who are prepared. Why? One reason, because we will then be in the presence of God. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Another reason for joy when Jesus returns will be because we'll be safe from sin and the consequences of sin. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt you. Finally, there will be joy because we'll see Jesus, never more to be separated from him just because his death. Jesus told his disciples, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Then will come to fulfillment the prophecy the prophet of Isaiah, who foresaw the time of rest, restoration as he said, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Let's stand as we sing. I've heard the bells on Christmas Day.
that was very stirring, if I may say so. So, um, you know, this is our time we talk about generosity and how generous a congregation that you are. So I would just like to point out a couple things. Um, in your bulletin, we have a insert that has the, um, the stewardship and the giving for the week and the attendance. And we had a really good week of giving last week. But also in there is the Acts 1-8 fund. And if you notice, we've, um, year to date, the Acts 1-8 fund's taken in a little over $123,000. And 20% of that Acts 1-8 fund goes to the Lottie Moon offering. So all during the year, people give to the Acts 1-8 fund, and that, that increases our Lottie Moon offering towards the end of the year. So <clears throat> during this time, we emphasize the Lottie Moon offering because it's for missionaries around the world, and that's, that's really why we're here, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, if you want to give directly to the Lottie Moon Fund, there's envelopes out in the atrium and various all by the boxes, and you can give directly to that fund at this time. Our goal for the year for Lottie Moon is $40,000, and we're at $36,000 in giving right now, so we've done very well. So we just want to thank you for your generosity. Let's pray. Father God, we, just, we thank you for this day, Father. We thank you for this, this opportunity to be in your house, Father, to, to worship, Father. Father, we thank you for the, the volunteers and the staff who work so diligently during the week to make Sunday come together and things work out right in your house. Father, we also just want to pray for our missionaries around the world, Father. We pray for their safety, Father. We pray for the message that they're delivering. Father, we pray that at this time of offering that we would just take what's, what's given to your kingdom, Father, and that we would use it only for your kingdom. Father, we ask that you would bless those who give, Father, and we just ask that you would bless this offering. In the name of Jesus, amen.
Good morning, church. So good to see all of you today. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Brandon Elder. I'm the production communications pastor here at Anastasia. Um, And today we are in week three of Advent. So we started three Sundays ago, uh, Advent series called A Stable Influence. It's a series where we're looking at Christ's influence on women, on men. Next week, it'll be on worship. And today, on families. So a family can mean all sorts of different things. I have friends that are like family that my kids call aunt and uncle. Um, This church is a church family. Your life group that you go to may be like a family. You care for each other. But for today's sake, I'm going to be referring to a family that you're born into, one that you're adopted into, or one that you make as a husband or a wife, father, mother. So I know some of you in here may not have a family that fits into that description. Some of you may have a family that fits in that description, and maybe they're not the best one. Who knows? But that is what we're going to be talking about today, and I pray um, that one day all, everybody will be able to have a family like God intended for us to have. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So we're going to look at Jesus' influence on families through the way he came into the world and how that then affects the individual members of the family. So we're going to be looking at husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and children. I think it's pretty obvious why Pastor Walter asked me to, to speak about this because I am the pastor on staff that has been a father and a husband the least amount of time. But... <laughs> I was most recently a child, so I I got that one. It's a perfect fit. But today, um, we're going to start by looking at Luke 2, 1 through 6, and if you can do so comfortably, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the, um, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you that we're able to, to come and worship you together. I pray that... Um, The words today will not be my words, but your words. I pray you'll give all of us the ears to hear what you are trying to say. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we see the first way that Jesus has a lasting impact is through incomparable family design. If you're following along or taking notes, that's the first thing you write down. Incomparable family design. The king of the universe could have chosen to make his way into the earth however he wanted. Most people assumed it was going to be with a big fiery chariot, trumpets blazing, but that's not what happened, is it? He was sent as a baby into a family and had to deal with everything that comes with being part of a family, with siblings and parents. So we can see an incomparable family design. The second way that Jesus has a lasting impact is through uncontrollable family disruptions. Have you ever had your family disrupted by something outside of your control? I know I certainly have. Um, have any, has anyone in here, maybe, I'm not sure, ever been a woman that is in her third trimester? Or have you known a woman in their third trimester? <laughs> I have not been a woman in my third trimester. It didn't look great, so I don't think I want to do that anyways. But 
I do know as a support person for a woman that has been in her third trimester that the ideal place that she would like to be is sitting in bed, probably with her feet being rubbed. I know what she would not want is to be told that she has to travel 90 miles by foot because of a government census. But that's what happened with Mary. In her third trimester, she traveled 90 miles for what seemed like no good reason. But this disruption had divine implications. 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah wrote this, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So what if this uncontrollable family disruption is actually the beginning of God's divine fulfillment of his plan in your life? Would that change your perspective? Would that change how you look at things? I recently read um, Tim Tebow's newest book. It's called Mission Possible. And by recently, I mean I, I finished it on my run last Sunday before I preached the sermon in the CLC. And by read, I mean I listened to the audiobook. <laughs> but I think it counts still because it, it is a book. Just someone else is reading it for me. But this book is filled with story after story after story of people that are taking uncontrollable family disruptions and they are using them for good. They're using them for God's glory and they're using them to spread the news. People taking cancer, people taking birth defects, people taking um, autism and using it for good and to spread God's love. What if we change our perspective? The third way that Jesus has a lasting impact is bringing stability through uncomfortable family dynamics. It's the holidays right now. We just had Thanksgiving. Christmas is coming up. Probably a lot of us are dealing with some uncomfortable family dynamics. And we look, um, Luke 2, verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Have you ever stopped to think about why Jesus was born in a stable? The, the easy answer is, well, there was no room in the inn. That was the only place for him to go. But why did they have to go to an inn to begin with? This is, the, this is Bethlehem. This, he's, Joseph is going here because this is where he's from. He has family here. He is from the line of David, which means he's from the line of the king. Surely somebody has room in their house for Joseph and a very pregnant Mary we don't know why, but we do know that they did not go to a home. They tried to go to an inn. So maybe Joseph was being ostracized because he didn't get married to Mary until three months after she was pregnant. Maybe some of his family had suspicions that Joseph wasn't the child's father. Maybe some of his family were ashamed because he was just a carpenter. They came from a line of kings. He's a carpenter. We don't know exactly what this awkward family dynamic was, but we can see that it's there. And because of that, they were forced to have a baby in an animal stable. Some of you have uncomfortable family dynamics in your family. And I just want to encourage you, bring them to Jesus. He knows them. He understands them. He lived them. Even his own siblings did not care for Jesus. Eventually, that changed. Eventually, um, we have a book of the Bible that's probably written by his brother. But Jesus knows uncomfortable family dynamics, and he can work through those. So Jesus coming as a baby affects family through incomparable family design, 
uncontrollable family disruptions, and uncomfortable family dynamics. But it should also affect the individual members of the family. And the family that we're gonna talk about today is ideally made up of three parts, but not all families are made in this way or this order. But we're gonna be talking about husbands and wives that become fathers and mothers to their children. Let's start with husbands and wives. When I got my Master of Divinity degree, I chose to focus on pastoral counseling. And when I did that, I had to take a class on uh, marital and premarital counseling, and I became a certified premarital counselor through that. And I learned in that class that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. And that's a statistic that I knew previous to that. It's one that gets thrown around a lot. But what I didn't know is that that number climbs to 67% for a second marriage. That number goes up even further to 73% for a third marriage. That tells us that marriage isn't easy. If you're married in here today, you know marriage is not easy. And we can see that in Jesus' time, it was not easy as well. Let's look at Mark 10, verses 1 through 12. It says, And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered him, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So the Pharisees come up to Jesus. They ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they've been trying to establish Jesus as an opponent of the law of Moses to discredit him. But Jesus doesn't focus on the law when he answers. He focuses on the heart. He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to get married. But that is not the design. I lost my spot. There I am. I got it back. Don't worry. That's not the design. It says that the two become one flesh. If two become one flesh, that means they're two halves of a whole. So if I take this bulletin, and Miss Janie, if you're watching, I'm sorry, but I rip this bulletin in half. It's, it's still a bulletin, right? It's, it didn't stop being a bulletin. Now it's just a bulletin that's not how it was intended to be. We are two halves of one whole when you're married. So you can rip it apart, but that doesn't change the fact that this is now broken. It's two people that are now broken. So two halves of one whole, two people, one flesh. So Jesus makes it clear that divorce, while permitted in the Old Testament and even permitted in the New Testament on grounds of sexual immorality, it's not the plan. It's not the biblical standard for what a marriage should be. Instead, let's look at verses 7 through 9 again to see what is the standard. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So first, it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And when you get married, your blood relatives are no longer the most important people in your life. Some of the, the mothers in here struggling a little bit with that. I'm sorry. But 
They are no longer the most important people in your life. Wives, some of you have probably dealt with your husband automatically taking your, his mom's side when there's a, a disagreement. Don't, don't stare. We don't need to start anything right now. Husbands, have you ever heard, well, that's not how my dad would do it. That's not, that's not my, my dad would always do blank for me. We, we don't need to stare again. I'm not trying to start anything. I'm trying to prevent things. When, um, when I do the premarital counseling sessions, we always start by saying, hey, I want you to know, I'm not here to tell you whether you should or should not get married. <clears throat> what I'm here to do is to make sure that we have some of these really important arguments sometimes now before you get married. That way we can make sure, is this something that, one, you guys can agree on, and two, is not going to start anything later. So we want to make sure that we are holding together. So husbands, support your wives. Wives, support your husbands. Leave your father and mother behind as the person that you trust and care for the most and cling to your spouse. So the second thing it says is hold fast to your spouse. And this verb in the Greek is proskolao, and it means to glue to, to adhere to. Has anyone ever messed up with super glue? I have. So maybe you were... Um, Maybe you're trying to put a toy back together, or maybe you dropped a piece of wedding china that you got for whatever reason, and it mostly just sits on a shelf, but you pull it out three times a year, but you were doing something, and something fell, so then you grab super glue, you try to put it back together, you shove it in the back, so that way hopefully never, nobody ever tries to use it, because it's not going to work. But super glue is really, really good, because it is made so when you put it on something, it is going to stay there. And sometimes you can do that by accident, too. Like when you try to fix that toy, now it's like semi-permanently bonded to your hand. So you say, okay, let me put this super glue down, and I'm going to get this off. Then you put it down, and you're like, oh, wait, I should probably put the cap on so I don't mess up anything further. But then you try to pick it back up, and the whole table comes up with it. Once you glue something together, that's permanent. It's done. So husbands and wives, we're supposed to be glued to our spouse. You made a choice. You made a vow. You made a promise to them and to God. So hold fast. So when things in life come along that are difficult, you can't just let go. I can let go with my hand from that toy, but it's not leaving because <laughs> it is glued to me. There are hard times in a marriage. I, I think um, Amber and I have been married for about seven and a half years, and we've dealt with a good amount of stuff in that time, but the hardest time had to be November and December of 2015, which was just six months after we got married. Um, we had recently found out that Amber was pregnant, and we weren't expecting that, but it was exciting nonetheless. Um, and this month started with losing the baby, and we were crushed. It was hard. That next week, um, we were getting ready to graduate college, so Amber went to the registrar to make sure, like, hey, am I good? And they said, actually, your financial aid didn't come through for this semester. So you have to pay this semester's tuition before you can graduate in one week. So I said, okay, we'll keep going forward. And then that, that month ended with the two of us sitting in a doctor's office, um, finding out that Amber has type 1 diabetes, which normally presents itself when you're a child, but not always, apparently. And it was, it was a rough, rough month. And if you look at statistically, money, illness, and children 
are some of the biggest rifts in a marriage. And in that moment, in that month, we could run. We could say, this is, this is crazy. I don't know what's going on. Or we could choose to hold fast to each other because we made a vow. We made a promise. And I'm so glad that we chose to hold fast to each other. It's a choice. Now let's look at the roles of children and of parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what is the call of children in a family? To honor and obey their parents. This is a natural law. In virtually every culture and every society, children are supposed to honor and obey their parents. And we can know it's a natural law because even in the animal kingdom, children honor and obey their parents. This is what is normal, and it's a natural thing, even though most of the time it seems like dishonor and disobeying is their, their natural. But it's not. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It is natural. It is good. Second, we're to give honor and obedience because it's the divine law. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. So whether you have great parents or parents that are lacking, we're called to give them honor, even if we don't think they deserve it. And what does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? The Greek word translated obey is very helpful because it comes from two words, meaning under and to listen to. So that it literally means to listen under. Obedience involves conscious listening. If you don't really listen, you cannot really obey. And that's why parents are always saying, listen to me. I feel like that's one of the things I say most in my homes. Look at me, please, listen. Let me know you're listening. The idea to listen under is with the intent to understand and then to do it. So this does not mean that a son or daughter is to obey their parents if they ask them to do something that's morally wrong or it goes against scripture, children are to obey parents in the Lord. That is, in those things that are consistent with Christ and his word. The call to honor our parents goes beyond mere outward obedience. To honor our parents means to love them, to regard them highly, to um, show them respect and consideration. So there's a time where we outgrow the call to obey our parents. I'm 30 years old. I have three kids at home. I don't have to obey my parents anymore, but I will never outgrow the call to honor my parents. And it says, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. The call for parents is in two parts. The first is negative. The second one is positive. The negative is pretty easy to see. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Some parents ask for things that are beyond the capacity of a child, causing frustration provoking their child to anger. Some, people, some parents find faults in everything. I coach my son's soccer team, um, and every single game, I walk by field after field of kids that are trying their hardest, and you can tell, and parents that are just screaming for more and more, provoking their children to anger. Another way that we can provoke our children to anger is inconsistency an inconsistent parent. I have a friend that's given up on their parents at this point. She's been let down so many times, she doesn't even tell her kids anymore if her parents say we're coming over. So it might not happen. 
inconsistency. So parents, a child is like a flower. They can be very easily crushed or they can blossom into something incredible and beautiful. And it's up to the caregivers to decide which one happens. Parents, you decide what happens. Paul lays out a formula with three elements to work together to raise up a child. And the first one is gentleness. The word bring them up means to nourish or feed or can be translated as let them be kindly cherished. We are to be tender in bringing up our children. And if you want an example of tenderness, I want you to think about when a man has held a newborn baby for the first time. Because they are terrified. I remember when we brought my son home, I was like, both hands, I was like, any little movement can break this thing. If you want the opposite of tender, watch a man with any baby after that. Because now I have my daughter, and poor thing, I'm holding her with my two sons jumping on top of me. I just have her like dangling by one foot, trying to keep her out of the way. But tenderness is what we are called to do. The second element is discipline. So I went to a, a private Christian school from kindergarten through fourth grade, and my parents would get several calls from the secretary um, because my little ADHD self was constantly in her office. And the call would go something like this. Hello, this is Mrs. Barwell. I have Brandon in the office again, and he seems genuinely repentant. <laughs> but I wasn't, because I was back again. I was back so many times. I, by like third, third grade, I'd just kind of walk in and just be like, hey, Miss Barwell, I'm gonna go over to the desk. It was just bad. So, like I said, this was a, a private Christian school. It was in the 90s. So eventually she would say, hey, you got to go into the principal's office now. You're leaving mine. And the principal would pull out that paddle, and she would slam it down on the desk and say, this is what's going to happen if you come in here again. And I never went in there again that school year. And the next year it all reset. But discipline is what changed me. Discipline is what grew me. So discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 19, 18. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains knowledge. Proverbs 15, 32. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12, 11. Discipline produces practical Righteousness. It produces peace, shalom, well being, wholeness. That's what it did for me. The third element is instruction. Clear instruction is necessary for proper upbringing, and this takes time and it takes thought. And that's two things that are easy to skip over in our busy world. You're running around trying to get lunches ready, just yelling something at your child to, hey, go do, go do blank. Most of the time, if they don't do it, I go back to say, well, did I give clear instruction? Did, did I take time and, and make it easy for them to understand? And most of the time, I didn't. So the three elements, gentleness, discipline, and instruction, that's how we are to raise up a child. So families are a God-given gift, but they're not easy to maintain, to nurture, but luckily, the life of Jesus and the word of God is full of instructions on how to do this. So today, I pray that you will, have, that you will experience the incomparable family design that God created.
I pray that God will move through the uncontrollable family disruptions and the uncomfortable family dynamics in your life. I pray that the husbands and wives in here cling to each other when times are hard. I pray that children obey and honor their parents and that parents don't provoke their children to anger, but instead raise them with gentleness, discipline, and instruction. We're coming to a time of invitation. Um, Whether you're here today and you want to think about becoming a Christian, maybe you want to join our church, maybe you want to get baptized, anything like that, I'll be down here at the front during this next song. I would love to talk to you if you have that. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that that we're able to come and to, to learn more about you. I pray for all the families that are represented in here, that they would grow and that they would love each other. They would love you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here. We ask all this in your name. Amen. We stand as we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. receive a blessing from God's word. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The challenge, go out to live in and to live out the peace of Jesus. And all God's people who pledged to do so said, Amen. Merry Christmas. Thank you.